I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me now to our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We are going to be in the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We have lifted up our voices to the Lord in song and in prayer. And now we want him to speak to us. We need to hear from the Lord today. And so we open up the scriptures. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'll invite you to please stand as we read together Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, his people. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God... He, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master... We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat and, to come and help him. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And, when, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in this word today. Father, we ask that you would indeed bless the reading of your word, and now especially the preaching of your word. May you make the preaching of your word an occasion to do your wonders and do your works in each of us, in our hearts and minds, in the depths of our soul, and in our lives. Would you do what only you can do and send your Holy Spirit from heaven to sit on this place and to use this word to apply it to our hearts, to write your truth upon us so that we might be conformed into the image of the glorious Jesus that we see before us in the gospel this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning's sermon is designed as a summary and a conclusion of our Isaiah series. Now, last week I did my Reformation Day sermon, and that was a bit of a break. This is a sermon to sort of wrap up and tie together the big major theme that we saw in our series from Isaiah 40 to 55. And this was the big idea of that whole stretch of Scripture and this and that whole series. We cannot 
truly know ourselves until we truly know God. And in light of who God really is, I see myself as I really am. And it's this twofold knowledge, knowledge of God and in light of Him, knowledge of myself. It's this twofold knowledge that is the basis of all Christian discipleship. It's the basis of the whole Christian life. The more I grow in knowledge of God, the more I realize how ungodly I still am. The more I see what God is like, the more I realize how unlike God I actually am. And the more I know who He is, the more I realize who I am. And then the more humble and the more meek and broken I become. And the more passionate and dedicated I am to become more and more godly. To reflect God's image and likeness more fully in my own life. In our passage this morning, we're going to see how this process that we looked at at great length in Isaiah 40 to 55, from all sorts of different passages and angles, we're going to see in our passage today how this process plays out as the disciples, specifically Simon Peter, grows in his knowledge of who Jesus really is. Simon, I'm just going to call him, he's called Simon most of the time in the text, I'm just going to call him Peter because that's how we're more familiar with him. Peter grows in his knowledge of Christ, and as he grows in his knowledge of Christ, Peter finds in him the one worth following. And that's the process we're going to look at today. And there are three steps in this process, and these correspond to the three points in your sermon notes insert. Three steps in this process. First, the disciple realizes the true depth of his sin. Second step, the disciple learns true repentance. And the third step of the process is this, the disciple becomes a true follower of Jesus. And that's the sequence. Realizing the true depth of his sin, learning in light of the true nature of his sin, to repent truly and fully from the heart, and then out of that repentance becoming a true follower of Jesus from the heart. So let's see how this passage illustrates each of these steps in becoming a true disciple of Jesus. First, the lost disciple in verses 1 through 5. This story in Luke 5 is the story of how Peter goes from being a lost disciple to a real disciple. Peter is a fisherman, but in this story, it's Jesus who goes fishing for the fishermen. Jesus, in verses 1 through 3, is preaching to a crowd on the lake shore, and he's using Peter's boat as his pulpit. Verses 1 through 3, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, that is to hear Jesus preach, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats down on the shore, two boats bobbing in the water. But the fishermen had already gotten out of their boats and they were washing their nets. So they're actually cleaning up. They just got off work and they're cleaning up and they're getting ready to go home. 
And Jesus shows up and he wants to preach. So he says, guys, while you're washing your nets, I'm going to jump in one of these boats, push it out a little bit so that, you know, there's a big crowd there and they didn't have microphones back in the day. So push the boat out a little bit so I can use the water to sort of amplify my voice. And that's in verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon. So he picks Peter's boat to get into. And he tells him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down in the boat, it says, and taught the people from the boat. So Peter's boat has become Jesus' pulpit. And then, after he finishes preaching, so Peter's washing his nets. And after the sermon's over, uh, Jesus tells Peter to do something else. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking... When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And in verse 5, Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So imagine, they toiled all night. They've been fishing all night. They've been working third shift on the lake. And they're washing their nets they're ready to go home. They didn't catch a single thing. This is a complete disappointment. They're probably frustrated, hungry, tired. They stink. They're ready to go home. I want to like go like wash off, go to bed. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to preach while you're, while you're <laughs> getting your nets ready to put them up. And then when it's over, you're going you're gonna to go fishing again. <laughs> and so this has to be just a complete drag, right? I mean, we've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. That's, that's the context here. So, Peter is a professional fisherman, and his partners are professional fishermen. They know this lake, they know these waters, they know what it's like, they know how to catch fish, and they know when the fish aren't biting, you're not, you just got to go home, you got to give it up. And so Jesus' instructions, no guys, go back out in the middle of the lake. I know you've been up all night. Go back in the middle of the lake and try it again. This had to just seem completely infuriating, useless, and silly. Jesus must have sounded so foolish to Peter. So when Peter responds at the end of verse 5, But at your word I will let down the nets. I mean, it sounds so pious, so holy, so, oh, yes, Lord, I don't understand your ways, but that's your word, I will. And, and that's often how it gets quoted. But in context, I don't think it's a response of deep and confident faith in the word of Jesus when it doesn't make sense. I think Peter's mocking him. Now, I think this is confirmed Three verses later, when Peter is down at Jesus' knees repenting. Now, what's Peter repenting of? Now, theologically, yes, Peter's a sinner and we're sinners. And so, yes, in general, we just need to repent. That's true. But do you, I don't think that Peter is just making a general theological statement. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Thanks for the fish. In the story, is there anything in the story that could be a candidate for what Peter's repenting of. And the only thing I can find is here, this statement. And you can tell because he says, Master, we toiled all night and didn't catch a thing. But at your word, all right, do it again. 
go back out, put the nets back in the water again. I can imagine them like getting the boats ready, pushing it back out, hauling it. We just cleaned our nets. We're bringing the nets back in the boat. And they're probably nudging each other like this. Watch this. This is ridiculous. We're not going to catch anything. Here we go again. This is, I think, mockery, not faith. And you can tell another, confer- another confirmation of this is the word that, that Peter uses. He says, master. He says, master. And the, the Greek word underneath that English word here, master, isn't derogatory in and of itself. It's used perfectly fine of Jesus later by the disciples in the Gospel of Luke. So it doesn't, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad derogatory term all by itself. But in this context, it kind of is. It means... The word often is used to refer to, to uh, an army on the battlefield. This is the word you use for the guy who gives orders from the back. Right? It's the backseat driver. Okay? It's, it's the one who's in charge. The guy who's given the directions and the orders. And so it's almost like Peter says this. We toiled all night and took nothing... But you're the boss. Okay. We'll do it again. Notice this. Peter actually does what Jesus says. But he does it from this mocking, disbelieving heart. Which means this is hypocritical obedience. It's not true obedience. It's doing what Jesus says on the outside. But my heart is not being obedient as I do it. That's hypocritical obedience. Now let's, let's, let's go a little deeper with Peter. The depth of Peter's sin is actually a little deeper than we realize if we back up and look at this story in the context of what's just happened in chapter 4. Look at verses chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. It says, And they were all amazed... And said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So Jesus has performed miracles. The people who witnessed it are staggered and astonished. And then they go out and they're like, who in the world could this be? And they start talking about Jesus in the region where Peter lives. So Peter is hearing reports about Jesus from someone else. Then, after he hears about the power and authority of Jesus from others, look at the next two verses, verses 38 and 39. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So not only did did Peter hear about the power and authority of Jesus, he actually saw Jesus' power and authority firsthand in his own home and in his own family. And then you come into chapter 5, and... Jesus preaches from Peter's boat on the lake shore. So Jesus is, is honing in on Peter. He is tracking down Peter. He comes to his region. He goes in his home. He heals his mother-in-law. 
and then he climbs into his boat for crying out loud, he is, he is zeroing in on Peter. Peter is in Jesus' circle. Peter is part of the following of Jesus. And yet, he never got it. He was happy to be in Jesus' circle, but he never truly became a real disciple up to this point. Which is why in this story, I think we are seeing a lost disciple become a real disciple. And friends, you and I are no different than Peter. How many times have you heard about Jesus and you ignored it? How often has God blessed you and your family and you neglect Him? You do not honor Him and you give Him no thanks or little thanks. How many weeks and years have you sat in a church Sunday after Sunday and heard the preaching of Christ, the very Word of God, and you are just as unmoved and just as unchanged as you were years ago? You're in the right place, with the right people, on the right day of the week, saying the right things and doing the right things. But like Peter, is it hypocritical obedience? Are you obeying on the outside because that's what you're supposed to do? But on the inside, you don't have an obedient heart. There is, in the Gospels, there is a large following. Jesus has a large following in the Gospels, but he has very few true followers. Few people in the big crowds were his true followers. There is such a thing, Christian, as a lost disciple. Someone who is a... There is such a thing as a lost church member in good standing. Been in church my whole life. I've even served on a few things, committees and offices, and I give and, and I show up and I participate. And that means I'm a Christian. But if it's just on the surface level and there's no reality underneath then we must be born again. You must be born again. Not just a church member, but born again. You must truly repent of sin. And that takes us into the second point. True repentance. Verses 6 through 10. There are, in our text, three elements to true repentance. Repentance. First, a true vision of Jesus. Look at verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, so they've gone out in the boat, they've went out to the middle of the lake, they've put in their nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and they filled both boats so they began to sink. Jesus here demonstrates His power and His authority. 
He reveals his glory to these disciples through this miracle. He shows them who he really is. Jesus nearly sinks two boats. And it doesn't say, I love this, it doesn't say, and then Jesus spoke to the fish, come fish, get in the nets. (laughs) Hop in fish. (laughs) He doesn't even have to say anything to them. He just says, drop the nets, my power will take care of the rest. Just drop the nets. And then get ready. And that's what happens. They drop their nets. And so many fish are in them. They're hauling so many, so many fish. They're like, James, John, come here. We Bring the other boat quick. And they're throwing fish in that boat. And they're all about to go under. And Jesus has revealed that he is Lord of nature. He's Lord of the seas. He's Lord of the fish in the sea. They do his bidding. And he doesn't even have to directly speak to them. They just do what he wants them to do. Jesus proves that he is Lord. He shows them his real glory. They get a vision of who this Jesus is. And it absolutely astonishes them. Verse 9. For he, this is Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. First part of verse 10. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. This absolutely blew them away. This is just a small little glimpse of the kind of Jesus that they're dealing with. That's the first part of repentance in the passage is seeing the astonishing vision of who this Jesus really and truly is as the glorious Lord. The second part of repentance in our text is confession. A true vision of Jesus is the first part and the second is a true confession of sin. This is verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw the two boats about to go under, what's his reaction? He wasn't afraid of drowning. He wasn't scared they were going to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished. Out of their astonishment, because they were so astonished at Jesus, so blown away, therefore, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. Let's just analyze this statement. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter falls down before Jesus. This is all part of what a true confession is. You fall down before Jesus. This glorious Jesus you now see as he really is. You fall down before Jesus. Peter feels the real depth and weight of his sin. He says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. How does seeing a miraculous catch of fish lead to you feeling like a sinner? It's because of who Jesus is. You see this glorious Christ. And you see His power and you see His glory. And you all of a sudden realize in light of who He really is, I see who I really am. 
I am a sinful man, O Lord, and you are not. I'm the sinner and not you. He falls down before Jesus. He feels the real depth and weight of his sin. And Peter fears what his sin truly deserves from a holy Christ. That's why he says, depart from me. Don't come any closer. Depart. Don't even look at me. Your eyes are too holy and too pure to look at a sinner like me. And I know what I deserve in my sin from a holy Christ like you. Depart from me. You see, the one who truly repents tells Jesus, depart from me because I know what my sin deserves. The one who doesn't repent, the lost disciple, is the one who gets to the end and hears, Lord, Lord, says, Lord, Lord, but he is told, depart from me. I never knew you. The last thing Peter does in this statement is he fully submits to Jesus as Lord. Notice this word change. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Earlier it was boss. Master. The guy barking orders from the back. Now it's the word, Lord. Peter truly confesses his sin. He falls down before Jesus. He feels the weight of his sin. He fears what his sin deserves. And he fully surrenders to Jesus as his Lord. That's the second element, a true confession. And the third element is the best of all. And it's not what Peter does. It's what Jesus does after Peter confesses. True forgiveness. True forgiveness. Jesus' reply is in the second half of verse 10. Peter says, depart from me in verse 8. We're told how astonished everybody was in verses 9 and first part of verse 10. And then the last part of verse 10. Jesus says, do not be afraid. They saw Jesus in his power and his holiness and his glory. And it crushed, it crushed their sinful conscience. Depart from me, I'm a sinner. But when they hear the word of mercy, they receive true forgiveness. This is a Lord of glory and a Lord of mercy. See, this is the most astonishing thing in this whole passage. You guys thought that the catch of fish was the most astonishing thing, right? But the real miracle here is that a sinner was forgiven. That's what's astonishing. This is a word of gospel to a sinner like Peter. And it's a word of gospel to us. When we fall down before the holy God and we confess our sin and we know our sin deserves His condemnation, judgment, and all the rest. And what we get in response is don't be afraid. What do you mean? I have every reason to be afraid. I'm sinful. You're holy. But in Christ, we have the fullness of the astonishing mercy of God. In Christ, we do not have to be afraid. We're told, do not be afraid. Don't fear, Peter. You don't have to be afraid. Jesus pardons Peter. And then he embraces Peter as his true disciple. Finally, at last, 
his true disciple. Last part of verse 10. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, don't be afraid. Implication, I'm not going to depart from you. I'm going to embrace you. And that sin you're worried about, it's covered. Come to me, Peter. And when you come to me, I'm going to send you back out with a job to do. That's discipleship. You see Jesus for who he is. You confess. You repent. He forgives. And then he sends you back out with a mission. With a job. And Peter the fisherman isn't going to be fishing in the water with nets anymore. He's going to be fishing for souls with the gospel. And just like Jesus miraculously puts the fish in the nets, he tells Peter, go out into the deep. Go out into these nations. Go out into the world. Cast the net of the gospel, and I will put the fish in the nets. I bring people to myself. I will take care of who responds. You just go and be faithful to drop the nets. Before you mocked me at your word, Believe that word because it's a word of power. Drop the nets, Peter. Now you are a fisherman of men. Peter has a job to do. He's forgiven and then he's sent to be a disciple. And that's what happens to us as well. We're not saved to sit. We're not forgiven to just be in the pew. We're forgiven And we're sent back out as disciples, true followers. Those who live this stuff out and live it out for one another. And that leads us to the last point today. Gospel logic. Gospel logic is point three. Now what do I mean by gospel logic? What I mean is this. It's a question. What is the only logical response... To Jesus. After you've gone through this process. What's the only response that makes any sense? After you have seen Jesus. As he truly is. The glorious Lord. After you have repented of your sin. With a true confession. And found him to be your all sufficient Savior, in His astonishing mercy and forgiveness in the gospel. Once you've seen that, once you've gone through that process, what's the only logical response to the gospel? The only logical response is verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything to follow Jesus. They forsook their boats, their large catch of fish, their jobs, their land, their homes, their possessions, everything. They gave up everything And all they got in exchange was Jesus. And they counted it gain. They said, they they did the math. I give up everything and I get Jesus. Where do I sign? 
It's a no-brainer. Because they found in Jesus the one who is worth following. They found in Jesus the one who is worth infinitely more than all things put together. The one who in his beauty and glory and mercy and all of his infinite perfections is more desirable, more satisfying, better than life itself. They found in him the one who is worth following. He was enough for them. And dear Christian, is that what Jesus is to you? Do you find in him your all in all? Is he the treasure that you prize? Is he the one who's worth more than all the other things you have and love. Even the good things, the blessings that God's given you to enjoy for your benefit and for your good. Do you, do you love the gift more than the giver? Do, do you, have you come to God just to get the stuff? And if you could get the same stuff somewhere else, you would. Because it's the stuff, not Him. Do you want Him Jesus told parables in Matthew 13. He told the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. A man was out walking and he found a treasure hidden in a field. And after finding it, he covers it up. And in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy that field and have that treasure. Next parable. There was a merchant who was in search of pearls, fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went back and in his joy, he sold all that he had and he bought that pearl. Is Jesus the treasure hidden in the field? Is Jesus for you that pearl of great price? Is he the one worth following? This is the gospel logic. If you've seen who Jesus really is, and you've seen who you really are in light of Him, and you've come to repent, and you've experienced His forgiveness, this is the only logical outcome. He's everything now. And I'm going to follow Him not just dutifully, externally, because uh, you know, He's the boss, and I'm supposed to, and if I want to go to heaven, I've you know, got to get, you know, better get, get doing something, doing some Christian stuff, I want to go to heaven. No! It's from your heart, it's what you want to do. Your heart wants to run in obedience to Him and be His faithful follower. And if that's not who He is, there could be several issues. One could, you just, maybe you're backslidden and you've been wandering away from the Lord and today's the day to come home. Maybe you haven't caught that glimpse of Jesus in a long, long time and you just need to say, Lord, open my eyes again today to see Him for who He is again because our sinful eyes want to shut. They're prone to shut. Our eyes get heavy and we forget. And maybe we need to be woken up, revived. Or maybe some of us need to be born again for the first time today. Because we don't actually know Him as He is. We've never really seen Him for who He is. We've never truly repented. We're that lost disciple. We're the lost church member who needs to truly be changed today. So examine yourself as I examine myself. Where am I on this? I'm not exempt from any of this. Wesley, where are you on this? That's where I've been this week. (laughs) 
Where are you on this scale? Or maybe he is this for you and you should just be absolutely bursting with joy and gratitude to God. Thank you for your mercy and grace that you've given me this heart and and you are the treasure I want to seek. And I know I don't seek you like I should, but oh, increase it and give me more. Are you hungry for this? If you're hungry for this, that's evidence of life inside of you. So rejoice and ask the Lord for more. When we see Jesus as the glorious, merciful Lord that He is, the gospel logic kicks in and we understand the depth of our sin and the depth of His grace. And then we come to know Jesus as our treasure. And He is enough for us. We know Him as the one worth following. And therefore, it is our joy to leave everything and follow Him at all costs. This is the basis of true Christian discipleship. This is that normal process of every Christian life. So let us grow, brothers and sisters, in our knowledge of Christ. And let us examine ourselves to see if we are truly following Him. And no matter where you are on the spectrum today, the message is the same. Oh, dear Christian... Come to Jesus today. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time in a while. Maybe for the first time since this morning. Because you're in that. You're in a great relationship with the Lord. Where are you today? No matter where you are. Come to Jesus. Even now. And find in him. Your all in all. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we give you thanks for the power of your word. It is able to penetrate into the depths of every mind, heart, and soul. It is able to cut and to divide even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts deep in our hearts. And we know that we will all stand before you to give an account. So, Lord, I pray that you would allow your holy word, that you would command your holy word that has been read and proclaimed today to do its penetrating work for each of us. Convict those who need to be convicted. Comfort those who need to be comforted. Convince those who need to be convinced. Holy Spirit, take the scalpel of the word and do the spiritual surgery that each and every one of us needs today. Bring any who is lost to see you for who you are and to bow before you for the first time. Those who are wayward and struggling, wandering away. Lord, we know you're the one who leaves the 99 and goes in search even of the one. Oh Lord, by your word and spirit, retrieve that one today and revive them, refresh them. And Lord, those who are doubting Would you give them comfort and assurance today? And those who feel that you are the one worth following and who are walking closely with you, confirm them with confidence in their walk with you. But do not let them be proud or boastful. Keep us humble. Keep us deeply thankful and dependent upon your grace for every step of this Christian life. 
Lord, you are our all in all, and we want you to be the treasure that we seek. We want to be true followers of you. So do for us now only what you can do. Win our hearts and do not let them go. We are prone to wander, and Lord, we feel it. We're prone to leave the God we love. But take our hearts, O God, and seal them, fetter them to you, bind us to you. Never let us go. That's the only hope we have. Would you do this for us today, Lord, in your goodness and in your mercy? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.